Welcome to Watershed's June podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed and delighted to be joined by Tai Singh. Welcome, Tai. Thanks, Mark. How are you doing? Yes, good. Um, just before before we get um, before we get started, Ty, um, have you had a chance to go back to the cinema yet? Uh, I've actually been back to the cinema three times already. Great. So yeah, yeah. No, as, as soon as the chance came, yeah, went went to go see the biggest blockbuster we could find on the big screen. Uh, then went back to Watershed to go see Minari. Yeah. And, and yeah, I was actually there last night to go see uh, Those That Wish Me Dead, the new Angelina Jolie thriller, which was, you know, really good. It's a nice little thriller. Not, not, not at Watershed, that one. Uh, apparently it's not on at Watershed, Mark. Why is that? Yeah, uh, uh, as you know, Ty, the, the, the commercial films are um, have a happy home at the commercial cinemas. Hmm. And, and, you know, of course, what we're trying to do at Watershed is get get more of those smaller films. Minari that you mentioned, Um which, which of course won won the Oscar um, for the the best supporting actress, um, yeah. and it was it was great that you know a kind of small uh, niche ish film um, should get recognised in such a way, and it's such a lovely film. It's wonderful, yeah. No, we really enjoyed it. Um, it feels like we've been waiting ages for it to come out, so it was just really good to kind of finally be able to to see it in in the big cinema. Well, and, and that's the thing with film, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the films coming up in June, but they, they do, some of them do feel like they've been around for a while, um, but they've just, for obvious reasons, not found their way into cinemas. But interestingly, um, you know, the films that are available online and streaming, I mean, Nomadland, which we've just screened at Watershed, is, has been easily available through Disney+. Plus, But... It's, it's done great business um, at the cinemas nationally and great response from the audience at Watershed. So that's really kind of optimistic about the audience wanting the cinema experience. Yeah, I was, I was never convinced that the film's release on Disney Plus would affect the theatrical box office. Because I think the overlap between those two audiences, maybe those that you know, have Disney Plus to watch The Mandalorian and, and WandaVision and those that want to go see WandaVision weren't necessarily overlapping. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a very small segment and it's probably me. That <laughs> segment. Well, we'll, we'll, come on, we'll come on to that because you, you are a man of many hats, Ty. Um, you, you are the founder and organiser of Bristol Bad Film Club. Uh, of which the an acronym is fantastic, um, and and for, for those that, that for those that are wondering what BBFC is, I, I, I think um, you, you will have seen it um, when you go to watch a film, and it's the film certificated by the British Board of Film Classification, um, but there's also another BBFC which is Bristol Band Film Club. Um, so you, you you founded that, um, which has been running for a good few years now. Uh, you've all, you're also a published author. Are you um, your book Born to Be Bad, looking at those um, villains in popular cinema, was published a couple of years back, and also you um, lead on the new release strategy for the Film Hub Network, for the Film Audience Network for um, from the Film Hub Southwest, which of course is based at Watershed. Um, so we'll, we'll come, we'll talk through those. Um, you can put on those hats. Sure. 
Sure. But just to start with the Bristol Bad Film Club, um, so how did that how did that come about? Um, it w- it basically came from a, a long held love of genre film, and despite Bristol's vast wealth of you know film clubs and cinemas from the cube to the watershed to the multiplexes i felt there wasn't anywhere that was akin to the prince charles in london that did uh screenings of of cult titles you know did kind of big audience participation events and while the cube has its uh genre nights it was more at the very obscure end of things like uh, Indonesian fantasy films, which I like. But there was nowhere, for example, that would show films like The Room or Birdemic or Samurai Cop. And so I just dove into figuring out how that could be done, uh, finding venues that had an AV setup, trying to figure out the licensing and then just building up the community. And our first screening of Plan 9 from Outer Space sold out. The second screening that we did of Samurai Cop sold out. And then we did Star Crash with Christopher Plummer and David Hasselhoff, which is an Italian Star Wars ripoff. That sold out. And, you know, seven years later, we're still doing screenings once a month. Well, we were up until you know, COVID. So are the, are the films so bad but good? They... That was originally what it was to start with. It was films where the the filmmaker clearly had a passion for the subject matter. They just generally didn't have the talent to see it through. So there were films like The Room, which is... The the, the Room is the embodiment of that, isn't it? The Room is the embodiment of that. But then we've also shown films like Raw, which is Tippi Hedren's passion project that she made with her husband and children. And that is them getting chased by 30 lions and tigers. And that's not a bad film. It is the craziest film you'll ever see and you can't believe it was made. So we've kind of evolved from not just bad films, but some of the unique takes in cinema that you wouldn't really see anywhere else. But the, the thing about The Room and, and um, it, is that it was really participate. It became participatory, didn't it? I mean, the, 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 there was a kind of... It is so bad it's good and that the audience, you know, were, were coming in on the lines and sort of there was that the famous um, teaspoon throwing, you know, collective. There's a real participatory part of it, isn't it? That's, I think, what has kind of made the Bad Film Club a success and why essentially I put it on hold during COVID. We did a few kind of online screens, but it is, like you said, all about the part participation of the event people having a few beers all laughing along with the madness that's unfolding on screen and uh i just don't think that could be replicated on you know doing uh streaming or or online screenings and you got to know steve Wiseau and and greg sestero tommy Wiseau, and yeah we've had them to bristol a couple of times and um you know tommy's the character that you think he is yeah. Uh, and then we've got to know Greg quite well. We had him back when The Disaster Artist uh, premiered and we did screenings at the watershed with you guys. Yeah. And I've also gone around the country with him as his Q&A guy when he released... Um, actually, no, that was when The Disaster Artist came out. But when they released their new film, Best Friends, we've had him in Bristol for Q&A events. So, yeah, yeah, we've gotten to know them really well over the past few years. 
I, I loved the disaster artist. I thought it was. I thought it it was that it was a a, a great sort of um, homage to that spirit that you said that that somebody's you know trying their hardest but they just haven't got the talent uh, and it really it really did capture that and I, I think in a way I prefer it to the room. I prefer it to the room. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 weird because I think it's kind of like why Ed Wood was such a success. You yeah. Know? He's not a great filmmaker, but it is that passion for the he, he hearts and His heart's absolutely in it. I mean, he believes, the same with Tommy Wiseau. I, I mean, they fundamentally believe in their, their, themselves and their ability, but it's, yeah. just, it's just that what, what they make isn't exactly, isn't exactly live up to, you know, those, those expectations, I think. No, that, that's exactly the, the, the problem. So, yeah, you, you've just got to, to go with it. In in the book, uh, the, looking at villains and and um, I mean, I guess it's similar kinds of films, or is it more more popular cinema? You're 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 looking at those um, those people that are not obviously the heroes or the leads, but the people are on, on on the kind of edges who who crop who you know crop up in so many different kinds of films in different places. It's 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 really brilliant what you've done in terms of pulling together a kind of profile of them and giving them giving them the 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 platform that they deserve well again that that was just sort of like a i i really wanted to kind of get to know some of the actors who i feel were the most interesting people in action films because your schwarzeneggers and your stallones everyone kind of knows about them they're very well out there but then they're also managed and handled very carefully to protect their images whereas uh, actors who've been bad guys opposite them they don't have the same uh career trajectory as an arnie or a, a stallone and as such they're, they're they're more likely to kind of give you the more interesting stories uh about their experiences so that is why i kind of sat down and decided to track down the likes of uh, Vernon Wells, who plays Bennett in Commando, and British actors like Paul Freeman or uh, David Warner, who've been in Raids of the Lost Ark and Titanic. They are the actors who've kind of been there and worked with so many stars over the years, and their careers are so well established that they honestly don't care. They will happily just tell you, here's who was great to work with, here's yeah. who's a nightmare, here's where I had a great time. And uh, that is kind of why I felt interviewing actors who've been bad guys in action films was a much more interesting take than the heroes. And also the bad guys are the best part of every film. Everyone knows that. Well, of course. I mean, I, I, absolutely. There's nothing like a good baddie, yeah. as, it, as, it, as it were. Um, and, and is the book um, still available? Yes, the, uh, the book is still available. Um, it is out now on all big corporate websites. It's an American publisher, you can get it on their website, but what I would just do is order it in through your local bookshop. And the second part, a follow-up, came out last week. So Born to be Bad Part Two is also now out. Ah, oh, fantastic, great. Yeah. And, and, and is that continuing in that um, rich scene? It's continuing very much in the, uh, the the theme of the first one in that I am interviewing actors who play bad guys, but this time it's the ones that I couldn't get the first time around. Oh, so okay. people like Robert Patrick from Terminator, 
uh, and also um, Stephen Lang from Avatar and Tombstone and films like and, that. And these are these are these are actors that people say, "Oh God, I recognise them. I just didn't know." And then the, you know who who they who they were really is. You see, the focus is always on the stars, and and um, you know these kind of what could be seen as bit players, as it were, are, are, are kind of not given the, the spotlight that they deserve. Yeah, exactly. They are very much character actors that are always there in the background and their faces look very familiar and you know you've seen them in half a dozen uh, films over the years. But um, yeah, that, that's exactly who it is. Yeah. Well, thoroughly um, recommend getting the books um, and finding out um, some juicy stories from the sets and and uh, of, of some of those films that you mentioned. Um, the, third, the third hat um, that you wear, Ty, is the one that I'm uh, more familiar with uh, <laughs> as, as, we, as we work together on it, which is um, you work on the new release strategy uh, for the BFI Film Audience Network, mm -hmm. uh, which is about um, supporting um, distributors uh, um, to, to reach um, a kind of wider audience um, and it's it's about supporting those you know, not those blockbuster films because they will be able to reach the audience um, as they come with big marketing budgets but it's it's the kind of smaller films um, and trying to work on the ground um, because distribution um, I'm sure people know this but if you don't I mean distribution is largely based in London so you've got London companies that are putting films out across the UK and have very little um, contact with, um, you know, on the ground grassroots uh, communities. And the, the, the BFI Film Audience Network is a way of connecting those films, distrib distributors with the audiences. Um, and new release is a way of doing it. Um, mm. So how, 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 how have you been finding, working on the new release and, and you know, what, what have you been learning uh, in some of the kind of previous examples? Well, I think one of the first things I learned when I kind of came into the role that coming from a city like Bristol, where we have such a, a wide film culture, is that, you know, not all of the UK is like London, Bristol or Glasgow. Um, you know, while there might be a big love for world cinema in these cities, that's not often the case because, um, you know, audiences around the country don't often get the opportunity to see these films on the big screen. So what we do is we work with more rural venues, smaller venues in parts of the country that aren't major cities and help them to kind of get these films shown to their audiences. Because a film like Nomadland, it will get lots of press and attention through the Oscars. But at the same time, it will be very hard to see it on the big screen if you don't live in a major city. So what we try and do is we help the smaller venues around the country show these films so audiences can enjoy them on the big screen. And you know, one of the films that um, you, you worked on before um, COVID happened um, that I thought was, uh, you know, really brilliant um, example was Peanut Butter Falcon. Mm. Um, you, you really got that film um, and why people should screen it um, and this is sort of support. Just talk us through what, what, what the sort of partnerships were in that and what, what happened with, um, you know, what cinemas could access and ultimately audiences? 
Well, for those who might not have seen the Peanut Butter Falcon, it, it contained it was about film about a, a drifter who teams up with a young boy with Down syndrome, and they travel across the country to uh, fulfill the young kid's dream of becoming a professional wrestler. And the lead actor actually had uh, Down syndrome, and it was a unique film because it was um, it wasn't an actor pretending to be disabled, which is so often the case in a Hollywood film. And as such, it was kind of a really heartwarming tale of, you know, not letting anyone try and put you in a box. So we kind of teamed up with Mencap, uh, that is the leading charity in the UK for um, Downs. And then we got them to do partnerships with cinemas around the country. Um, we also partnered with venues to do more relaxed screenings for audience members that might be autistic or have Downs. Uh, syndrome and also this is the case with Watershed I think it was the first time that you guys had done relaxed screenings for audience members in that way so it's where the lights don't go down um, all the way the the sound isn't as loud as it might normally be and um, audience members that might not be used to sitting in a chair constantly for two hours are free to to, to move around a little bit more mm. And uh, I think through that, we got lots of venues around the country to do more relaxed screenings. And it's something that's been embraced, I think, over the past 18 months more so. I went to my local Cineworld and saw that they were doing autistic screenings now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was teaming up with charities and organisations to kind of promote the film to audiences that would really engage with the material. That and you also got the actors involved um, to do a, a, a recording, didn't you, for the, for the cinemas could screen? That's right. So we, uh, well, not me precisely, but Mencap sent two of their young film enthusiasts to the London Film Festival to meet the filmmakers and the cast, sat down with them and got uh, to do a little Q&A as well as an intro, thanking people for coming out to the cinema to see their film. And it was uh, it was really heartwarming. Yeah, it was a really brilliant um, connection between, you know, the on-screen talent um, and the, with the audience, you know, so when we screened it and that, you know, that comes up on screen, it's just really brilliant um, to have that direct connection. And I think the same, the same happened with Sound of Metal that you worked on. Yeah, Sound of Metal. So that's the latest new release title that we're supporting for its theatrical release. Um, obviously, Riz Ahmed's been doing a lot of publicity rounds um, after he was nominated for the Oscar. But he has also um, recorded a, a personal intro for cinemas that are showing the film uh, on the big screen. Um, we also partnered with David Ellington, who, of course, um, does a lot of the BSL translation at the watershed. So we got a BSL translated promo that cinemas could use on social media and in in-house to promote the film to um, a deaf or hard of hearing audience. So that's kind of another thing that we've been pushing as well as uh, getting these films in front of general audiences, but also making them as accessible as possible to audience members that, that might often feel that the cinema is a closed off environment for them. And we, we screened Sound of Metal um, last year, but I'm, I'm sure the in the last year, last month, last month, time has time has collapsed. No meaning anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's meaningless, isn't it? Um, yeah, we 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 screened Sound of Metal 
uh, when we reopened in in May. Um, but it will be still be screening in cinemas across the UK. I'm absolutely sure through through June, um, and thoroughly recommended it is too. Um, and what 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 are you working on at the moment? I mean, I know this is very that your area is is very much kind of business to business. Um, mm. But but um, you know, audiences will see the uh, outcome of that with things like the Riz Ahmed and and you know peanut butter falcon interviews. But what what are you working on at the moment that's coming up? Well, I mean, I think the concern at the moment is as cinemas reopen, there might be um, that there might be some cinemas that feel just to kind of get audience back in, they should just show as much mainstream stuff as possible. You know, your Fast and Furious, your Black Widows, um, all of which I'll be seeing, by the way, your Godzilla versus Kongs. Um, but we don't kind of want to get these indie films lost amongst all the, the, the big explosions and the action scenes. So to kind of give cinemas a little bit more encouragement over these first few months, we are supporting Sound of Metal, which was obviously a big awards darling. Uh, another round, which actually won the best foreign um, language film Oscar that is Mads Mikkelsen as a Danish teacher and him and his middle-aged friends discover that they operate on a slightly higher level when they've got a couple more drinks inside them and so it's all about them. I could, I could, I could identify with those characters. Very much so there, there was a lot of uh, I get that and then we're also um, going to be supporting Limbo at the end of July. So another round comes out on the 2nd of July and Limbo, which is from Ben Sharrock, which is about um, asylum seekers literally kind of treading water in the rural Hebrides while they kind of wait for their um, asylum status to be confirmed. It, it's it's a very, um, it reminded me, Limbo reminded me of Aki Kurismaki, um, you know, the great Finnish director's sort of deadpan role sense of humour because um, whilst the Hebrides, um, inner and outer Hebrides, are absolutely beautiful places, they're also, they can also be as bleak as hell. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a great expression that I think Robbie Coltrane, I heard Robbie Coltrane use, which is Mamba country, miles and miles of bugger all. Um, and so you have these, these refugees who, are, who, I mean, that's what's great about the film is that it's dealing with a very serious um, issue. Hmm. Um, about migration, about this, the, the you know circumstances that asylum seekers and migrants are, are dealing with, but in this kind of um, backdrop of, um, as I say, the 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 kind of bleakness, as it were, but beauty, bleak, the bleak beauty of the Outer Hebrides, and it's quite incongruous, but um, it, it works really, really well. It does. It, it's very touching and very moving, and I. Th- think it will it will have a lot of poignancy for very many audience members and yeah. even though and even those in kind of rural areas who think they know about you know what's going on with immigration and the refugee crisis well, it, you often think of um, these issues as being metropolitan you know being city issues but um, I, actually it's kind of much wider isn't it very much so, yeah. So uh, I think this is a, a story that will um, kind of bring more focus to that. And we're looking to team up with uh, Refugee Week and various refugee organisations as we kind of get closer to its release date. So, yeah, it's very exciting. Mm. And, and some of those, um, well, all of those films that you mentioned will be coming up um, at Watershed. We've, 
we've actually got a preview of another round uh, later on this month before it opens, I think, um, at, the at the very beginning of July and, and uh, Limbo's coming up as well and thoroughly recommended. Is there, outside of new release, uh, what, what films are you looking forward to seeing in the coming weeks? Well, I've, I've already seen Sound of Metal. I saw it on the big screen about a year ago, but I'm keen for my wife to see it. So I think we're going to go back and see that at some point. Uh, I've kind of, I've lost track of what's coming out now. I've, I've seen Minari. Uh, what's coming out of Watershed over the next few weeks? I know I've seen Nomadland now. Well, the, uh, the, 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 one, that, the one that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing again, actually, is The Father. Um, the, the father was very good. Yeah, I, Anthony I, Hopkins um, won the Oscar, deservedly so, I have to say. I mean, I, I was a bit sceptical of it, um, the idea of it to begin with. Um, and I thought that um, when it started, the first 15 minutes of The Father, and The Father is about the father who has um, dementia. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, this, this feels very similar. And I was thinking of Michael Haneke's Amour. Um, and I thought, oh, this is, but by, after that first kind of 15 minutes of settling into it, I, I just, it was profoundly moving. And I just thought the, the storytelling of it from the kind of perspective of somebody with dementia did capture the disorientation and, and um, Hopkins was just sensational. I think uh, I messaged you after I'd seen it and I just went, uh, that's the Oscar to Hopkins. And I was so convinced of that that I did put money on him winning it. And uh, yeah, I ended up winning 90 quid. So what, what, what were the odds? Well, Chadwick Boseman was the out and out favourite. But after watching The Father, I was like, there's no way they're not giving the Oscar to Anthony Hopkins. That was... But, but the thing is, you, you, you often see, you know, oh, that's an Oscar winning performance. I.e. the performer is, mm -hmm. is, is saying... I this is an Oscar-winning performance and you can just feel it and you go, yeah, okay. It wasn't that outstanding. But this is a this is an actor. Yeah. And Anthony Hopkins is a great actor. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I'm I'm old enough to remember that he was uh, on stage. I saw him in Pravda um, on stage at the, at the National Theatre. Um, and he was electric, you know I mean? He was just... And, it, and you tend to forget because you think of... You, you kind of think of Hannibal Lecter, you know. I mean, you do think Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter, but he—he's an—he's an quite extraordinary actor. Um, he is one of the greats. It's emotionally devastating his performance, and you often see him kind of, you know, go big in films like The Wild or no, sorry, The Edge is what I'm thinking of. You know, very kind of big, broad performance, but this is much more so understated and so devastating it, it was incredibly uh impressive yeah. so there's there's um still some really good films coming up because um i was you know for my um side i was thinking other films going to be that, that will be available for cinemas you know because you know will films get made will film etc etc you're sort of having doubts about you know will, will we you know what, what can we have to show um but actually the next couple of months and I'm just starting to look at autumn at the moment and already that's beginning to look good with films like um, Candyman um, being dated and also Peter Jackson's um, documentary 
well, he's edited the docu- the footage of the Beatles get back. Yeah. Um, um, isn't Candyman still coming out in October? For no, it's, it, it's it, at the moment. It's it's at the end of August, the very end of August. That bank holiday, um, which is a great date. So okay. it's just it, what's really exciting is is there's lots of great films around and and available for cinemas, and we've got a quite a few of them coming up this month and and the months ahead. I just lastly say um, re- recommend to people the um, the documentary Summer of Soul. Uh, we we are taking part in the Sheffield um, Doc Fest on tour, so Sheffield Documentary Festival runs the, this month, and we they are touring some of the films. And the opening film is Summer of Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know if you know it, but it's it's a it's a do, it's a documentary of a music festival that happened in Harlem in the 60s, just um, weeks before Woodstock okay. happened. So Woodstock, everybody knows Woodstock, you know. But here was this um, festival happening in Harlem of black music and arts, where um, Sly and the Family Stone, B.B. King, Nina Simone, nice. um, a whole a host of people, James Brown, etc. I mean, playing in Harlem, and it's it's an absolutely extraordinary uh, gig, um, and it's an amazing film because it really just captures um, the style, the energy, the music um, that was happening in in Black America in Harlem um, in the sixties, and a kind of real counterbalance, as it were, to the the, the Woodstock story. So, um, really looking forward to that when it happens as part of the Sheffield. It feels like the perfect summer film. And I I know that there's this kind of um, idea that during the summer months, it's a fallow period for indie cinemas. But I think post-COVID and with the amount of films that are coming out um, over the summer months, like Limbo and Another Round, it's probably going to be the busiest we've seen in a long time. I I think so. And I also hope so. Um, All all I will say, and I'll just end on this one, um, is Wong Kar Wai restored back in the cinemas August nice more more soon anyway that's that's all for this month and thank you very much time oh you're welcome Mark I'll see you back in the office great <laughs>